Welcome to the SLN Podcast, where your hosts interview top industry influencers and break down the latest trends in sports, fitness, fashion, and innovation. The SLN Podcast is on now. This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth a digital partner to the ambitious, a creative engine launching brands and igniting growth, the unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. This is Mike Gugat from the Sport Lifestyle Network. In this episode of the SLN Podcast, I speak with my friend Pat Hitchens. Pat is the founder and CEO of Fit Rankings, which is actually based in Austin. Before Fit Rankings, Pat was the second employee at Flow Sports. Born and raised in Chicago, Pat has traded in cold winters and old-styled beer for sunshine and hazy IPAs from Central District Brewing in Austin, Texas. His claim to fame might very well be that he beat Lance Armstrong in a beer mile. We've put a link in the show notes. But his superhero status really lies with his two kids. Pat provides insights into the psychology of participation, the engagement of leaderboards, and the value of social capital. And what I especially like about Pat is he speaks just slightly slower than I do so I can understand. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Pat Hitchens, you're a Chicago guy, lives in Austin. What does Austin have that Chicago doesn't? Um, I've been here 13 years, so, but I've always talked slow. So thank you for having me on the podcast. And I think I was... I was born to be like in the South, even though I grew up in Chicago. And I'll tell you three things Austin has that Chicago doesn't. Um, I would say barbecue, uh, y'all, and um, <laughs> like Joe, the Joe Rogan show is here now. And uh, that's, I, I think, Austin's creating a center of gravity around health, fitness, and technology. Well, so I don't know if you know, but we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, that you come on this podcast and then two weeks later you go on his. So we, we had, uh, uh, Joe Decino on from a Spartan race and two weeks later, Joe Rogan had him on his podcast. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully the phone rings here in a couple of weeks for you, Pat. Yeah, and we're working with Tough Mudder, and so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for a call from either Joe uh, or or the other Joe. Either mm -hmm. Joe would be great. Or if you can come up with some outlandish things to say, like don't wear a mask or you know barbecue will cure COVID, uh, you know you you might find your way there faster than uh, than you know it. But so I'm going to flip that question. Now that you live in Austin, what's the first thing you do when you go back to Chicago? Uh, go back to Chicago. I will drink an old style beer and then run uh, probably either in either order. Um, <laughs> I, I once raised Lance Armstrong in a beer mile. If you Google Lance Armstrong beer mile, you might uh, see a video of me. Uh, I beat him. So that's my claim to fame down here. But um, yeah, in Chicago, like the lakefront is obviously a, a great running path. And that's where I grew up running. I grew up downtown, uh, like 
two blocks away from Millennium Park in uh, the fountain. So I grew up running there and uh, went to high school with uh, a guy that I ran cross country and track and field with, Mark Floriani and his brother who wrestled. I was also a wrestler. And uh, we went to high school together at St. Ignatius. And that ultimately, that relationship brought me down to Austin. And we'll get into that in a second. And we'll talk about flow track and what became flow sports. But I'm curious, you know, as, as somebody who, uh, you know, leaves Chicago, then goes to Tulane, which was sort of a rival school to SMU where I went to in, in, in Dallas. But uh, was that an easy transition? Did, uh, did New Orleans... Uh, uh, absolutely felt great to go down there. And, uh, I remember several times I, you know, I kept running. I, I, I started running like sixth grade, uh, to alleviate some, you know, ex- anxiety and even depression I had as a kid and s- stayed with it through high school competitively. I would run in new Orleans and the track and cross country guys from Tulane would, say, Hey man, like you're pretty quick. Uh, you want to join the team? And I was like, I did not go to new Orleans to like get up at 5. AM and, and try and work out. I'll run on my own. Um, and I would do five K's and finish in the top three overall. Uh, but there was always a beer truck at the end. So I thought that was pretty, pretty good way to celebrate uh, new Orleans culture. We're, we're starting to see a theme here and, uh, and uh, we'll have to uh, we'll have to go back to that uh, that that beer mile. We'll include that in the show notes and a and a link to you beating Lance. And uh, who knows, he might have to have you on his podcast now. Um, but there's a few other things that we <laughs> we kind of share in common. Uh, I, I think one that we've you know been able to you know uh, uh, talk a lot about in our you know running into one another at different events is is we're also fairly new dads. How's fatherhood uh, changed things for you? Uh, it's difficult during a pandemic. I think it's difficult when it's uh, not the pandemic, but we had our second. So we had two under two starting March 31st. Wow. So you're, yeah. you, 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 I, I found that, so we're, we're one and done, but I found that when we, we went through the one thing, it was like, we got to the finish line, which was getting him in bed. And then all we could talk about for the next hour before we nearly passed out was the coffee we were going to have when we woke up. My relationship yeah. with coffee totally changed. <laughs> I, I drink a lot of coffee and I actually own the trademark coffee is for closers. So, Oh man, see, we're, we're, we're adding more and more. Check to, that, out. Yep. that was one of my, and, and being in sales leadership, I, uh, I used to play the, uh, you know, the, the excerpt of that, uh, that whole exchange. Yeah. Um, so, so here we are, you know, you, you've, you've done undergrad at Tulane, you head to another great running city, which is Boston, but all through this, you're studying psychology, correct? Yes. Uh, always been interested in psychology also. So I have a double major psychology, sociology, and then uh, minored in philosophy undergrad. And then I started to be mentored by a great professor, sports psychologist, um, and eventually got a scholarship uh, to go to BU and uh, get a sports psychology master's degree. 
So yes, that's definitely been my journey. And still today, how I kind of think of uh, the work we do. I think it's, it's uh, you know, the fact that you've been in sales and business development and then have actually become an entrepreneur in the startup space that uh, oftentimes like the critical thinking that is necessary to be a good salesperson. And there was a quote from Mark Cuban, you know, you're so back that he will actually discourage his kids from getting computer science degrees because in his mind, we need more critical thinkers. How does that like, again, understanding the human psyche help somebody that's, you know, in business development? I mean, regardless of what job you have at a company, you're in sales. Uh, I think I think Mark Cuban said that as well. I love his book, How to Win at the Sport of Business. Quick read. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's about empathy, like whether you're building a software product uh, or trying to you know, sell someone on an advertising campaign at Flow Sports, like a Nike or Adidas, you have to ultimately put yourself in their shoes and understand like their experience and, and what drives them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really where I start is like trying to understand, um, who I'm talking to and how we can, you know, help them accomplish their goals, uh, which at flow sports, you know, we were going up against like runner's world for ad dollars and, and, and various groups that were, know billion dollar organizations so for me it was always trying to understand you know some of the people you've had on the pod podcast uh, I worked with Ian Dickinson at Under Armour they were he's now at Asics but uh, they Under Armour launching its first shoe and Gene McCarthy was also there at that time just trying to uh, a put ourselves in the shoes of runners who are like, why is a football brand coming into running? And then also putting ourselves in Under Armour shoes, which is like, we have an amazing football brand and technology, and we have something to offer the running community. And that was back in 2009. We did a series called Under Armour Origins. If you Google it, maybe you can see some of the videos. I think some of my uh, former colleagues from uh, Mizuno and uh, and Adidas are in some of the uh, the videos that you guys did at that time. But you mentioned Mark earlier, so tell the listeners about you and Mark actually ran together. But at this point, you now have this master's degree in sports psychology, and he and his brother are starting something down in Austin, and uh, you get roped into that. How did that happen? Yeah, I uh, so I graduated from Boston U and I had already started working with uh, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, Olympic athletes uh, as part of the master's degree. And then I got set up with a job to work with the MLS buyer. And the day I was supposed to start, the head coach and GM got canned and I was living back at home and my mom uh, basically is like, you're, you're not going to just sit here and like, wait for the next job. Like I've been in advertising media sales for 20 years. I'm going to get you five interviews next week and I'm going to teach you this business. So 
she put me through a crash course. I'd never taken a business class, much less like radio sales. And I took the interviews and I learned it, but I knew I was like, I don't want to do this. And sorry, I don't want to live in Chicago after getting a taste of the sweet Southern weather. Um, so I, I'd stayed in touch with Mark and visited him in Austin several times where he ran steeplechase at UT. And uh, I started following what him and his brother were doing with flow sports. And it was really simple. It was, Hey, we're going to, we're going to put videos on the internet of, you know, sports and people in sports that ESPN is not covering. It's like, Okay, video on the internet. What a crazy idea. And in 2007, it was. I mean, YouTube. But at that point, all you had, I mean, if you were into track and field, you had like Diestat and you had a handful. But again, it was, you know, essentially blogs and times. You weren't actually connecting with the gutsiness of it. You weren't seeing what it actually looked like at the time. Yeah, so... Uh, what I thought they were doing was awesome. I gave them a call, said, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, have you guys figured out a way to make money? It's like, no, not, not really. Uh, all right. Um, have you raised any venture capital? <laughs> uh, no. I was like, all right, well, maybe I can help uh, with the money thing. So uh, I moved down to Austin. I drove down, I think, like several days later. I lived at the office for eight months in the worst intersection uh, in Austin at the time. And um, I didn't get paid for four months and that was all right. I, I got free rent and uh, I got all my furniture off Craigslist free, free section um, except for my mattress. I actually like, that's where I drew the line <laughs> and Ultimately, you know, just started calling, cold calling Saucony, Brooks, Nike, Adidas, uh, Mizuno, every brand I could think of. And eventually, uh, Mary O'Brien from Saucony said, uh, I sat down with her on a radiator outside the Boston uh, Marathon Expo in 2008. And I was like, hey, this is what we're doing. And uh, she was like, I like it. And a couple months later, we were working with Saucony, and that was like our first check. So I, I got to ask, do you think your mom will listen to this episode? Uh, I don't even know if my mom knows what a podcast is. I, I've tried to explain to her what I do, and uh, she she says she gets it. But This could be a kind of know. a proud moment, though. Like you've given your mom some props <laughs> for making you go run in the middle of the night to you know, burn that energy. And those first two miles led to this. And then at another pivotal moment, she, uh, you know, kind of kicked you in the pants to, you know, get your friends going. And it clearly has worked out for all of you. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm giving her too much credit and she's not going to listen. Then we can, you know, we can edit this piece out, but you can share it with her on mother's day. I'll send it to her. I'll send it to her. Okay. So clearly you get this experience. You're, you're, you're selling, you're selling big brands, you're selling influential people in our industry. Um, and then at some point you get the bug to go do your own thing. Yeah. So I was at flow sports and, 
you know, it was, it was a hell of an experience. I, I still remember pitching uh, like Jim Weber, the CEO of Brooks and Dave Larson at the time in a boardroom standing there having come up with, you know, a number of ideas um, that like totally unique and just sweating because I knew if we didn't close that deal, literally the lights were going to turn off at Flow Sports. So we bootstrapped uh, the entire time I was there, zero to multi-million. And um, I, while I was there, I still, you know, run, uh, bike, um, I do a bit of kite surfing as well, uh, windsurfing. And uh, I just started to be amazed by the different apps, uh, fitness apps and wearables that were coming into the market. And so in 2009, I started using Strava, which I thought was really unique from a sports psychology perspective, uh, having leaderboards. Um, also, you know, like I was... I was dabbling in like Garmin and like they came out with their first GPS watch, which is really a brick on your wrist in 2003. And, you know, Fitbit was coming out around this time. And so was Map My Fitness in our own backyard. Um, so around this time, I mean, a lot happened in this space and, you know, just rewinding a little bit, like, I think all of us were wa wearing like a Timex Ironman 50 lab, 100 lab. Like, right. Yeah. And that Checking was like, every once in a while. yeah, that was like innovative. And then it came out with the Indiglo light. And I was like, awesome, man. <laughs> and it, it just, in that moment, 2009, like, uh, phones started having GPS chips in them. And there's a little known company also in Austin uh, called Bones in Motion at the time. Did you ever hear that? I did. And it was uh, Wallet Mizuno and then at Adidas. But, uh, you know, they were they were definitely pushing the sort of, you know, kind of virtual competition, if you will. And uh yeah, well, their innovation was they uh, they saw the fact that phones would have GPS in them, and they were the first to release an app on a phone where you could track your distance, pace, mileage, and guess how much they charge for that app to be able to download that back then? I don't remember. It was about 30 bucks. Wow, yeah. And now it's like free and we take it for granted. Um, but eventually they sold to Adidas. And interestingly enough, uh, like Adidas went about suing um, uh, like Under Armour after the Map My Fitness acquisition because they, they had acquired the IP around tracking distance and mileage uh, using like a GPS from a phone. And so that allowed Adidas to go out and, you know, capitalize on that IP. So I, I, I think you're being generous with capitalize and commercialize, but uh, 
you know, sure, sure, at the, at the, at yeah, the risk but... of you know having an employer that paid my mortgage for a while, you know, come back after me since I don't work for them anymore. I don't want to be. Uh... Oh, and that's that's no hit against Adidas really at all. I think, I think every uh, major company uh, tried to also get into this space, um, and and it's been interesting to watch, right? Well, this kind of sets up. You know, I, I want to talk about the psychology of participation, but before we do, I think there's there's something about a platform, you know, and, and oftentimes we confuse, you know, platforms as being ecosystems, where in many cases, platforms for registration are for transactions, right? But then if you really have a connected strategy, then you can kind of create that ecosystem. And I think oftentimes brands haven't been able to authentically figure that out because they want to sell to the audience. Right. But it doesn't always come across as being this place that, you know, you're connected. And so can you talk a little bit about what fit rankings does and why you're a, a connected platform as opposed to just transacting? Yeah. And just to connect there, um, you know, so all this is going on, uh, a number of players are coming into the space from Matt My Fitness to Strava to Fitbit, Garmin, Polar. And you're at a point then where, you know, 50% of U.S. adults might have one of these devices. And I started seeing, and today, 90% of U.S. adults have a health app or wearable. The thing I kept running up against was, Yes, it's cool to know I bike this far, I bike this fast, or I walk 10,000 steps, or I don't. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's, it's a limiting factor uh, if you can't connect this da data to the brands, to uh, nonprofit causes, to even your employer, um, and, and get it out of this silo, this prison, uh, and really our mission at Fit Rankings, and the reason I started it was because I wanted to be able to allow any person, regardless of their device, to connect their data to the causes, uh, brands, experiences they care about. Uh, but we as a business, you know, monetize, like our, our real business model is you know, while we care about the user at the end of the day, being able to do that, um, we monetize by working with organizations, including USA Triathlon, USA Cycling, uh, American Heart, uh, colleges. More recently, we've been reaching out, uh, speaking to and, and launched uh, our first digital challenge with a college. Um, all the way to the Air Force, you know, working with the Air Force to allow um, their airmen to use these devices, which are ubiquitous, to monitor their health and fitness year round. So there's a lot of applications, but I think the real problem and the reason we exist is because you have 90% of U.S. adults with something but they they can only you know see how far they walked or ran and, and that's not enough and being able to accept the challenge right you know if, if if the air force has a pain point 
or, you know, an organization is trying to get people active, or you have folks that actually perform better in that competitive sort of mindset, it sounds like you can kind of, uh, skins the wrong word, but, you know, develop on what the competition is going to be, how it's going to be scored, you know, I don't want to misrepresent this, but it, it, you know, that's what seems exciting from my perspective. Yeah. So we're a blank slate. I tell this to every customer we work with. Uh, I'd say the most interesting to date are two. One would be Tough Mudder. They reached out to us, you know, really kind of at the height of the pandemic in April. Like, all right, all of our events are canceled. What are we going to do? And we, within three weeks from first phone call to a live competition, which is now generated, you know, north of a million dollars. Um, in that time, uh, f- from first reach out to live was three weeks and we're able to incorporate, yes, running, elevation, biking, swimming, all these things. Uh, but on top of it, the question I had was like, all right, how are we going to do like obstacles virtually? And we found a way to, to really do that. And, you know, I think chugging an egg yolk was one of them, um, pounding beers, like they're able to incorporate different uh, challenges in ice bucket into uh, the the solution we've created. So we're really a blank slate. And regardless of what partner we have, uh, we want to give them the tools uh, to create authentic experiences for their, their community. That's our mission. And it's safe to assume that social capital is a very big piece of this, right? Social capital to the individual who's competing, ways to share what's happening, but also social capital with the partner, the organization, the entity, the property, the brand. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys, you know, kind of create that social capital? Sure. So I think, you know, one thing that's interesting is most brands uh, out there, the only digital communities they have are their Instagram pages. And like a Nike has developed this rich ecosystem of apps uh, like Nike Run Club, and they own that. But I think what's at danger for a lot of brands um, is their their only digital community is their Instagram page. No one has a reason to go to their website. Uh, they can look at product. They can purchase product, maybe read a blog post, but they're not directly engaging with a brand. And I think wearables and fitness apps uh, present this opportunity uh, to create these digital experiences natively on uh, the brand's website. And that's part of our offering too, is you can easily embed our solution within your own native uh, environment. So your website, app, et cetera. Um, 
the social capital. Sorry, I kind of went no, uh, on a little bit of a divergence there, but I think that's important. Like, like a good politician, you got to ask, you got to answer the question you wish you'd been asked. <laughs> yes. Um, so no, I think that's interesting. And I think brands need to keep an eye on that. I mean, all right, you have half a million followers on Instagram. How many of those people like, do you have their emails and are you actually engaging at a deeper level? So with 90% of U.S. adults having one of these, what a great opportunity to do that. And yes, like social capital, I'd say, you know, the, the connections and the data provide an opportunity to tell really interesting stories. So, um, like if you go to Facebook and, and type in Tough Mudder Challenges North America or UK, it's like hundreds, thousands of posts of people doing wild things and connecting in a very unique, authentic way. Um, same deal with Trans Rockies, who we worked with to recreate an amazing event, right? That's thousands of dollars uh, for, for most people that will never do it. Um, and we were able to create a virtual experience that had maps, likes, comments, and it was only 55 bucks. Um, and I think that they had a, a forum as well, hundreds of posts, engagement, um, but I think this gets to also like what's happened with virtual racing during this pandemic. But I, so so I, why don't you ask me a question? Well, <laughs> again, you can tee up another one for yourself here. This is a, uh, but I, I think that, you know, that this gets back into the psychology of it, right? So like the psychology of participation, one thing we've seen and talked with a, a lot of guests within our fitness vertical about is, you know, folks in the, uh, boutique fitness space that have had to go online and become virtual and, and do it in a short time period, like, you know, three weeks, talk a little bit about, you know, that, that, you know, the, what's happening right now and that shift. Yeah. So virtual has been around for a while and I think it catered to like, let's put virtual on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have Zwift, which just raised, $500 million and, you know, creates a very immersive experience. Um, and then on another end of the spectrum, you might have what I'd call like a cereal box virtual event. And I, I call it that because like as a kid, I would try and, you know, I, I would beg my mom for a cereal because I liked the prize at the bottom of it. You know, I didn't have any interest in the cereal itself, but I, I really wanted the metal at the bottom. And so virtual has existed uh, prior to the pandemic. And a lot of it had to do with just like, OK, go out and run a 5K manually input your time on this page or don't. But either way, we'll send you a medal and a, a T-shirt. And interestingly enough, like a lot of people love that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Um, but what the pandemic did was it, it's pretty obvious. It shut down uh, endurance events. So 
what was interesting was all these endurance events uh, and any kind of event that was scheduled reached out to their their registration platform provider being like, hey, give us a solution here because that was, and I think that was because like registration platforms are tech companies. Maybe they could solve this. And so during the first month of the pandemic, I talked to this leadership teams of a lot of registration platforms. Um, and I think a lot have rolled out like some, some decent virtual solutions. However, they're usually around like a race distance. So 5k um, versus like Go, go across the state of Texas in a three-month time period. Usually it's like, go do a half marathon. We're going to replace the actual race with a virtual race of the same distance. And then for most, it's, it's a similar model where you're just going to get the T-shirt and the medal. There's not a lot of engagement, comments, likes, uh, connecting to various wearable devices, uh, uploading photos, seeing yourself on a map. So, um, you know, I, I think everyone's trying to get through this and registration platforms have found an intermediate solution, but I think ultimately, um, reg platforms are going to go back to the business that they do best after the pandemic, which is taking registration, um, but the genie is already out of the bottle. Like people are like, all right, <laughs> virtual is interesting. Like what can we do here? And that's not gonna go away. Um, although I do think, you know, hopefully we can all run together in person again. Even I hope that. Well, I think as an activity that is often done in solitude, there's still a, you know, camaraderie that people don't, you know, realize. And I think of Colorado Springs of all places, but, uh, you know, they would do this um, uh, beer run or pub run there. And it just turned into this thing where everybody would knock out their five miles and like bars ended up opening as a result of the overflow because they couldn't actually handle it because runners wanted to be, you know, around other runners. Um, so let me ask you this, what, what does this mean for fit rankings? What, what, how are you positioning, you know, finding the silver lining and, and everything that's going on, you know, to be able to, uh, to capitalize on this? Yeah. So I, I don't, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunities that we're seeing. Like I mentioned colleges, I've always thought like colleges as a way to engage alumni and fans and students could use our solution. And we just didn't have the time to, to really, uh, you know, invest into that. And, and so we're, we're investing there, which I mean, is, is a huge opportunity. Uh, I'm hoping to have like a conference based challenge with schools going against each other. Um, which would be cool. It's it's like we're used to drinking beer and watching football as Americans. So let's still do that, but let's try and go for a run beforehand and then have that influence like our team's ranking in a conference championship uh, challenge. 
uh, I think that's a unique way to engage. I love what you uh, just having driven from Santa Cruz, California, all the way back to Washington, D.C., where we live. You know, it's a big country. And this idea of framing up some of these virtual challenges as not the traditional 5K, 10K, you know, race that people are used to. Uh, do you see an opportunity in the public space where cities competing against cities? And if, you know, if 90 plus percent of people have the devices, why aren't we creating challenges between states? I mean, I love that. And I read an article, I think that Singapore uh, distributed Apple watches to all citizens uh, in an effort to like get people healthy. Of course, like as an American and since a huge part of our business is data and privacy and building security around it. Um, I'm like, okay, what's the, I think everyone is like, all right, what, what's the secret um, intent here? But it, if you could do that in a way that eliminated, you know, big brother concerns, you could have something very powerful that changes fundamentally like people's activity um, and, and health and livelihood. Um, one thing, one thing to think about here uh, is, so Robin Thurston was on your show and he's like, I think you asked him, what inning are we in, um, in this like wearable fitness app game? Do you remember? Sounds too, what he said? sounds too intelligent of a question. It must have been either John or somebody else. It might have but, been but one of your on, compatriots. Yeah. He said he said it was the second inning, and I think a lot of people are like shocked by that because we've been inundated with these devices for so long. But again, at the end of the day, all these these things are doing right now is like generally uh, all they've been able to do is tell us how far, how fast we've ran. Um, Apple watch came out with blood oxygenation, like the sensors are getting better. So the potential is there to do more, but here's the stark thing to think about when you get in your car every day and drive like that car has hundreds of sensors to tell you everything from low tire pressure to like wind windshield wiper fluid low that's your car your body like there there are no there's relatively no sensors that we're using on a daily basis to monitor which what you would consider maybe the the most important equipment you have and I think that's something to really think about. I think it's a great thing to think about. And I think that gets to the the crux of the adoption, right? And that's, you know, as, as some as, you know, can is there data that, you know, could then provide me feedback to train better, smarter, faster, you know, or do I have to educate myself? And then all of a sudden that lap timer and those splits is essentially doing the same thing. You know, you can argue over those things. I'm just wondering from a standpoint of what you were able to create in rankings and what you're able to do as a result of, you know, sort of being device agnostic is now all of a sudden, uh, you know, it becomes as simple as, you know, like how many, you know, as a sort of a way of handicapping it, but, you know, 
what did California log versus Texas, you know, based on the difference of population, it could to, you know, knowing that firsthand that we have an activity crisis, we have a crisis with healthcare as it relates to chronic illness. You know, there's, there's so many of these things. And then, you know, with the pandemic going on, I think, you know, for those that, you know, weren't fit before or, you know, got back into something, you know, finding some way to remain engaged with the activity, I think you, uh, you, you present a real opportunity there. Yeah, I, I, it comes back to psychology, right? Like we can throw all the Pelotons, all the Zwifts, all the Amazon came out with a Peloton type. I'm not going to say a knockoff, but like their own bike recently. Um, I mean, the major players are getting in on this. We can throw all that at people. And I think in America and at the military level, there's an obsession with like physical goods, hardware. Like we'll buy a hundred million dollar plane. But if you took that hundred million dollars and invested it into a program that's connecting and monitoring health and fitness across 500,000 airmen, like your results and your outcomes would be much better as a country in, in terms of our, our military, our healthcare. But I think there's an obsession in the U S with like gadgets and, and things you can touch and feel. And what you're ultimately trying to change here is culture. Um, and, and that's a, a way harder thing to do than it is to buy like a Peloton and have it in your house, never use it, but, but feel like you did something because it's there. Like you feel healthier because you look at that every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, and no, it totally makes sense. I think at some point when the pandemic's over, we got to get you to DC, uh, as every year I go up and help, you know, advocate for, uh, um, you know, with the SFIA for, uh, you know, tax policies, things like that, that would actually encourage people to be active. But funny enough, we happened to be up on the hill last year at this time, and it was almost like an episode of Veep. You go to these meetings, and apparently they were, the, the Republican caucus and the Democratic caucus were actually in a competition over steps, and members were actually, really? and it was by office, and so each office, you know, you were you were tallied based on how many you know staff members you had participating, and it was crazy to watch. Uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Will Hurd, who's from uh, uh, out in El Paso area, but uh, we were sitting in his office, and I mean, it was like every ten minutes he was updating like on who had taken the most steps in his office. So, I love that. so we need to find a way yeah. to get fit rankings in there with Congress's low approval rating, but. Uh, you know, we could we could turn competition into something else that might be better for us. And and on that theme of, of psychology, I'll get you out of here on this. You know, apparently we had stomachs before we had heads. So, uh, you know, we, we often think with our gut. And uh, so so what's the Austin beer? What's the Austin coffee? And then what's the uh, what's you know, when the pandemic's over, where, where are you eating first? Um, the beer, I like uh, Central District Brewing pretty some some nice nice hazies there um coffee uh i'll, I'll go with like mellow johnny's like you know i i t took a shot at lance earlier I, you know that's his bike shop 
I'll, I'll try and redeem myself with him. Um, and then, yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, Brown's Barbecue, which is a couple blocks away. It's a, a trailer. There's never a line, uh, but the, the BBQ there is, is reasonably priced and is delicious, consistent. So well, hopefully as a result of coming on this podcast, uh, you know, Joe Rogan and Lance will be calling you back. So, uh, you know, keep getting after it. Pat, great to see you. Thank you to our guests and sponsors. Without them, there would be no Sport Lifestyle Network. If you're listening via Apple Podcast or Spotify, be sure to rate us and subscribe. For more podcasts and to sign up for the newsletter, go to sportlifestylenetwork.com. Again, sportlifestylenetwork.com. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.